The nail in the coffin! Hey everyone, welcome to The Nail in the Coffin, a Cleveland sports podcast. I'm Tom Valentino, and I'm joined as always by Travis Uli. Trav, how are you? Fantastic. Yourself? I am doing well. So we are recording on a Tuesday night, and this is the only night of the week with no games going on here in town. Uh, Cavs took care of business on Monday in Philadelphia. They've got games again on Wednesday and Friday, and our beloved Browns are playing the Thursday night game this week at Cincinnati. So it was a little bit of a quick turnaround from our last podcast uh, late last week, but with the first college football playoff rankings coming out tonight and uh, good old Ray Farmer, the Browns GM, stepping up to the podium today in Berea, I think we have plenty of things to talk about. Absolutely. He never disappoints. Yeah, boy. Well, actually, I should say he always disappoints. He always disappoints. Yeah, so we'll get into that in a minute. First, though, uh, a few quick ground rules. Um, if you're new to the show, we talk Cavs, Browns, Indians, uh, Buckeyes, and occasionally some other sports-related topics. We're not professional broadcasters or audio engineers by trade, and uh, we don't claim to be insiders with sources. Uh, we're just a couple of Cleveland boys who love to talk sports, and we want to get you in on the conversation. That's why we do the podcast. Um, we don't really swear gratuitously, but we might drop a colorful word every now and then, so you've been forewarned. Uh, you can always check out our show at nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com, but we really encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, just fire up the podcast app on your iPhone or your iPad, search Nail in the Coffin, choose our show, and hit subscribe, and you're in. And last but not least, if you enjoy the podcast, spread the word. Uh, share a link to our site with your family and friends. Uh, tell them where you can find them or where they can find us on iTunes. And uh, yeah, so Trav, let's uh, let's talk Browns here. Uh, tough, uh, another tough loss on Sunday, and uh, trading deadline today. All sorts of rumors were swirling uh, whether they were going to maybe uh, trade off uh, Joe Thomas. Paul Kruger's name came up. Archivius Mingo, Alex Mack, and then it turned out none of them were traded. And shortly after the deadline, we heard from good old Ray Farmer uh, at the par- at the uh, press conference. Uh, what did you think? Well, first, I want to say, as a podcast that focuses uh, primarily on Cleveland sports, we should probably be applauded for not swearing more than we do. Uh, <laughs> we I would appreciate be well that disclaimer our you put in, but um, but no. In regards to the trade deadline, it's it seems like this happens every year. I don't, I can't remember the last time that there was a meaningful movement uh, coming up to the deadline. It's it's sort of funny how polar opposite it is from your NBA and your uh, baseball deadlines when there always seems to be a couple teams making huge moves. Um, Personally, when I heard the stuff about Joe Thomas, I was like, well, that doesn't sound like we're getting enough. And as everyone else's reaction was, uh, if we do end up getting that first round pick, it better not be Ray Farmer that's making it. Yeah. The the, the whole deal with the NFL trade deadline, and did they actually push the deadline back this year? It feels like it was later this year than it has been in past years. I thought it was always after week eight, but I could be wrong. Okay, yeah, and I, I might just be thought wrong it was always too. kind of at that generic halfway point. Yeah, I, I just I think they've been uh, they've been trying to maybe get a little bit more movement going if they did move it back. 
little more player movement. And I wasn't really expecting any sort of a big trade today. But it, to me, it was more interesting in terms of a statement on where this team is at and where they view the pieces that they have in place and what they think of their players and what they see as the future. The fact that there were, there were even discussions about getting rid of some of these guys and looking forward uh, into the next draft and trying to stock up on more picks – I mean, that that to me is the bigger statement rather than actually making the moves. Yeah, I agree. I think um kind of puts him in a weird position because, in all honesty, Joe Hayden's a good player, but Joe Thomas is really the only legit top-tier star-type player they have. And, yeah, he's your left tackle, so that's probably a huge indication why the Browns are what they are. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you real quick just – borderline hot take alert, but just let me yeah, ask you, me. are we sure Joe Hayden's good? I tell you what, everyone tells me he is. Y- yeah, I-, I know. I mean, but it's just it what we always like say. Every time he goes up against a, a good, not even great, but a good receiver, it kind of seems like they tend to uh, kind of tend to eat him up, especially if it's a bigger guy. We saw it uh, last week with uh, Floyd Arizona just bullying him on that touchdown run or on that touchdown catch and run. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen him make plays, but it just feels like every game inevitably there's going to be that one backbreaking reception, whether it's for a touchdown or a key first down or something that's just going to crush them in crunch time. And And four times a year we play the Steelers and the Bengals and he absolutely gets killed by A.J. Green and Antonio Brown, routinely. You mean big, strong receivers are a good thing to have? Uh, Antonio Brown's not a big, strong receiver, and he still kills him. Yeah. To be fair, he kills pretty much everybody, but still, that's the guy that you go against all the time. Let me rephrase that. Really good receivers are an important thing to have? Yeah, receivers are important. Ray Farmer, take notes. Yeah, boy, that that would be great if he... uh, shared our mindset on that if, but, if he shared the mindset with everyone else in the nfl yeah, yeah i don't really think we're going out on a limb by saying that either so no, no no but back to the joe thomas thing i think when i heard a first and a second from denver that's essentially an early second and an early third yes if you think about it because they're going to be drafted with probably you gotta think 28 right at best so for what the situation currently is with Joe Thomas, he's got we got three years on him, ten million a year on a bench. I mean, a bookend, super reliable lineman. You have to think if they were going to trade him away, they were going to use one of those picks on a lineman anyway. So I don't really get what the point would have been if they were getting a couple firsts over the next couple of years. Then I would have entertained it a little bit more. But as it stands, I'm sort of glad that for whatever reason, Ray Farmer was a little incompetent and wasn't able to get it done. Yeah, I, I guess the thing for me is th- there was a, a faction of the fan base and people whose value, uh, opinion I really value who seemed to take the stance that you can't trade Joe Thomas. He is the heart and soul of this team. And it was there was a lot of sentimental reasons behind their rationale. And for me, I, I'm sorry, I just the heart and soul of what? I mean, they've been garbage for the vast majority of the years he's been here. He's a really good player. 
and by all accounts he's a good citizen but the brown if you're trusting him to police the locker room i got news for you by all indications their locker room is an absolute disaster and it has been for years so he's not exactly setting the world on fire in that department and i i don't know if i agree with that i've heard on occasion i mean he had that reputation for a while but i think over the last i don't know probably three or four years you've heard him sort of pipe up and say the things that you wanted to hear a guy say yeah. uh, regarding former players, um, guys that had left and had said things, um, where he kind of piped up and said, you're gone, don't talk about us anymore. We're doing our thing over here. And I think when you have a guy that is generally viewed as already a, a potential, if not a probable, Hall of Famer and – probably the best player at his position over the last decade come out and say i i don't want to be traded i want to stay in cleveland i want to be here when we turn things around whether that's i mean you have to think it's not a hundred percent true if he got traded to a super bowl contender he probably wouldn't be the most disappointed guy about it yeah but you have to that sounds people like to hear that as a fan that's what you want a guy to say because you're sitting there you're pissed off your team sucks you want the guy that's on there truly want to be there not just be going through the motions because it's his job yeah and and that's fair I, i guess my bigger point though is just when you have a franchise that wins four or five games every single year there's just no such thing as a sacred cow on 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 a team that wins four or five games a year and i'm not saying you just get rid of him thoughtlessly or recklessly and just take the first good offer that comes along. And I'm with you in thinking that what they were supposedly going to get from Denver, had that trade gone through today, I, that wouldn't have been enough. And I'd have been upset with unloading Joe Thomas for that. And I, I think out of any of the players whose names were discussed, he's far and away the guy that you absolutely need to get the biggest haul for. Um, but at the same time, if the right offer would come along here in the off season now, because we're past the trading deadline, I, I'm willing to, to to move on. If, if but it's got to be a really good offer, right? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you 100. percent I wouldn't have been if they said, "Hey, we got a king's ransom for Joe Thomas. We got a lot of picks, a lot of assets that we can use." I wouldn't have been wouldn't have been happy about it because I like Joe Thomas. I think. I do think he's a good he's a good guy to have in the locker room. He may not be the most vocal guy, but I think he sets a pretty good standard as to how to show up ready to work every day. Um but That's yeah, fair. if you said, Hey, we got we got all this for it, we got a pretty decent haul. I don't think a first and a second from a Super Bowl contender is enough. If you got a couple first and maybe a second or something like that then yeah, it, it, it makes a little more sense. I agree with you. I don't think it would have been the end of the world if they had traded him, but what we heard they were going to get was not nearly enough for a guy who uh, I think I think commands a lot more. Yeah, and thankfully the, the Browns apparently agree with, uh, with our rationale on that. Um, I am a little bit surprised that none of the other guys got moved. I would have been far more comfortable with, Alex Mack or Paul Kruger, those were the two that I really thought were going to get moved. Kruger, for whatever reason, seems like he's been open to being traded 
he's he was even discussing it on Sunday, acknowledging the fact that his name had come up in some of the discussions. Yeah, Alex Mack, I'm think, totally convinced. Yeah, I was just gonna say Alex Mack, I'm totally convinced is gone after this year anyway. Even though he made the comment that he wouldn't waive his no trade clause. Once once he's a free agent after this year, he has the opportunity to get out of town. Given the fact that he was basically one foot out the door already the last time his contract came up, and nothing in in this situation here has gotten any better since then. I think he's on the first plane out of here as soon as he can. I think with Kruger, he probably sees what we all see. They're using him horribly this year. I think he came in with a good mindset. He was ready to play. He thought he had a good role in this thing. But when you have him like dropping back in coverage on third down, that's your best pass rusher. And they're just severely misutilizing him. And I think he realizes that at that point. You have to say, hey... I don't know if this is the right fit for me at this point, just based on the way that they're using me. And with Alex Mack, if everybody is under the impression that he's leaving after this season, why would he? Why would he hold up that no trade clause and say, "I don't want to go somewhere else now"? Why wouldn't he try to get somewhere? Say, "Hey, here's a handful of teams you can try to trade me to if you want. Um, if you can get me there, that's fine." And then he can kind of work with those teams and maybe sign with them in the offseason if he wants. But I can't understand for the life of me, if he's already got it settled that he's going to leave, why he would stick to that no trade. I mean, the Browns even think he's going to be leaving after this year, right? I mean, why else would why they else have drafted they have, exactly. Cam Irving? Cam Irving is, is, um, that's all anyone has said is, okay, he might be able to get in this season. If not, he'll be a, uh, the heir apparent for Alex Mack when he leaves. I think if they, if they can somehow manage a way to keep Alex Mack, that would be pretty huge. Personally, I think keeping a guy like that who can really uh, command the offensive line, I think the center position is a little underrated in general um, because it's not a left tackle and it's not a skill position. But I think if somehow they were able to keep him around, that would be huge. It sort of seems like before today I thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was leaving, but... Who knows at this point? I'm not sure why he would have wanted to stay if he's planning to leave in six months. Maybe he's just trying to stick it to him and not let him get any picks for him, but I don't know. Speaking of people who could be leaving here in a matter of a few months, Ray Farmer had to basically rehash everything that went down leading up to the deadline. And believe it or not, this was actually his first public appearance today since training camp. Hard to believe for me just given the fact that since the last time we saw him, he disappeared for four weeks. The Browns made several personnel moves in his absence that were a bit of a head scratcher. Mm -hmm. He comes back and they've had, I believe four weeks again since then. And finally today he talks and maybe it would have been better for him to wait a couple more weeks. Yeah. I kind of understand why he hasn't said anything in a while. He's not, when he says things, he, they're not good. They're bad things. They come out wrong. They rub everyone the wrong way. They leave everyone scratching the head as to what the hell he's doing. Um, I I honestly listen to it, and I try to pick out my favorite quote. I don't know that I could get to it. I think I probably ended up on uh, the whole, uh, was it the script to the movie hasn't been written yet or whatever, the the finish to the movie hasn't hasn't been written yet. Uh, Ray, we've all seen this movie. We've all seen it. We know what happens. Yeah. You don't know yet. I don't know how, but we've all seen the movie. We know what happens at the end. 
I just, you know, I, I do PR and communications in, in my day job. And when you start getting into a crisis communication situation, which whether you want to really admit it for the Browns or whether the Browns want to admit it or not, that's kind of what, the, what stage they're at. Rule number one is you want to get out in front of the story. You want to control the message because if you don't tell the story first, somebody else is going to tell it for you. And I think there were a lot of things that with Ray Farmer not talking sooner than this, you start hearing whispers from other people around the organization and outsiders who are plugged into Berea and have their sources and they're getting people to talk off the record and go unnamed and a very negative picture is being painted and it was a very bad situation leading up to today and in a, a very dire looking picture and I was really hoping today that Farmer when I found out he was going to speak we were going to hear okay a lot more confident uh, direction, uh, somebody who really seems to have a plan in place. And instead, what I felt like came out was basically something that just confirmed everybody's worst fears about what's actually happening behind the curtain over there in Berea. I mean, it's a disaster. Do you trust that guy after listening to him? Is there any part of you that says, oh, now I feel a lot better that that guy's in charge of personnel for my football team? What's the definition of insanity? We all know the answer. Of Doing course. the same thing over and over and expecting different results. They asked him today, how do you like? How do you change this? What do, what do you do? What sort of script do you write? And his answer was, the same script we've been following. Are you how kidding the, me? How are, the hell could you say that with a straight face? How do you say that out loud and not realize how ridiculous you sound? Yeah. I mean, it's horrible. It's frightening. Like, nothing he said today was the right thing to say. To a, I mean, in general, you have to assume a GM in that situation at the trade deadline is speaking directly to his fans who he raised ticket prices 30% on and are and just saw a team come out okay, but at the end of the day, get their asses kicked. And the fans want some reason why they should continue caring about this team. And he essentially said, what you've seen is what you're going to keep saying. Yeah, it just they have a flawed philosophy, and he's stubborn and just too proud. And I understand you can't keep changing direction every other week, but at some point you got to recognize this isn't working, and we are going down the wrong path here, and we need to change the course or it's going to get worse. It raises I, the question, I think, though, which is worse? Because you always hear about these top-tier the premier franchises all have one thing in common, and that's stability. Mm -hmm. Which is worse, constant change or stability just for the sake of stability? I would Because be... that's sort of where the Browns are, I think. People, people have been saying for a while, probably for the last, I don't know, year or so, you got to give them a little more time than you normally give guys. But then they keep making move after move after move when you're just like, all right, maybe we do need to move on. You need to show me. I, I don't expect them to be a playoff team right now. I didn't expect them to be a Super Bowl contender by any stretch of the imagination by now. But in terms of stability and whether you want to keep him and keep this regime in general, I needed to see something 
by this point. I need to have something that I can point to and say, like, this guy, he hasn't gotten them all right, but he's on to something here. He's made a few moves, and, and if he can, just something to build on. And just there's no aspect of anything on this roster that they've built. They've squandered draft picks. They they can't get in step between the front office and the coaching staff in terms of who should be playing. The free agency has been a disaster. I mean, everybody likes to point and, and laugh at Dwayne Bowe, and believe me, it's completely justified because that has been a dumpster fire in every sense of the phrase. But even look at a guy like Robert Turbin, the running back that they made a big deal out of getting right at the end of training camp, and they got rid of Terrell Pryor in order to clear a spot on the roster for Turbin. And I know, so Pryor hasn't really gone on and done anything anywhere else, and it's not like that move is coming back to bite him. But Turbin, they made a big deal out of him being a guy, and they held him, and they held that roster spot for him, don't forget, for four weeks while he was injured. Mm-hmm. And he comes in now, and he had two fumbles. He had, I think, three carries on Sunday, and he fumbled the ball twice on handoffs. And don't forget the game against Denver a couple of weeks ago, that whole last drive that they had in overtime when Mingo intercepted the Peyton Manning pass and set them up with the ball in Denver territory and Josh McCown took the two sacks that took him out of field goal range. Don't forget what the first play of that series was in order to put them behind the sticks and get them scrambling to begin with. It was Robert Turbin fumbling a handoff and having to fall on the ball in the backfield and take a three-yard loss, and all of a sudden it was second and 13. This guy is doing this pretty much, it feels like, every time he's out on the field. And it it, kind of reminds me of a, a trend we've seen since the Browns came back. They're always going to these premier franchises snapping up their scraps that they that those teams don't want anymore and thinking oh if they were on this team they must be really good well there's a reason that they put him on waivers and you were able to just go pick him up yeah like i understand yeah you may want to model some of what those teams are doing but they're not just giving away good players no No. team in the league has 53 really good top tier players it doesn't work that way and when you're picking up scraps that's what you're going to get you're going to get the guy who wasn't good enough to get on the field for them. You may think, oh, he's a really good player, but at the end of the day, he's a guy who wasn't good enough to stay on that team. Yeah. And what separates those good teams from the not good to, yeah. teams, it's the top of the roster. It's not the people at the bottom of the roster. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 I guarantee that if if Robert Turbin was a guy that's really that good, I realize he had some decent like uh, yard per carry numbers and stuff when he got in in limited action. But if he was a guy that they really thought was good enough to contribute to their team in Seattle, because um, backup running backs not something you just throw to the wayside. Right. You need it, even if you have a guy who can take the lion's share like Marshawn Lynch obviously can, you don't just dump a guy because, you know, you have old reliable back there. You always want <clears throat> at least one really good backup running back and if you have one you don't just throw them on waivers and move on and fill that spot with with some special teams gunner or whatever they pulled in in cleveland thinking they got some big steal out of it it's just it's baffling to me that they think he's going to come in and he's going to be i don't know another marshawn lynch you know and while we're on the subject of the running game what the hell happened to the browns running game in the second half on sunday against 
uh, Arizona. What? what uh, they were still in that game. Into the second, well into the second half, and they were throwing on every down. Duke Johnson, I think, had one touch in the second half for the the, the entire second half, right? That sounds right. I can't say for sure that it was just one, but Duke Johnson is yeah, the closest thing they have. Other him and Barnage, I would say, are the closest things they have to real deal playmakers. Barnage is probably. Uh, been, I think Benjamin's probably in that conversation too. Special teams. I, I'm I'm iffy at him as a wide receiver. Still, I I, I guess he's the best wideout they have. But I mean, in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. So I, I don't know. All, all right, I'll I'll give you him. Just I think, for the sake he, I think of he's discussion. definitely in the conversation. I want to say he's in the top like ten in the league in reception uh, in yardage. So I mean, you don't get that way just being okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's kind of disappeared recently, but. Right. I'm not sure if he's still at number ten. I know he was in that area, but yeah, I yes, feel like he's dropped off. Especially, he's definitely dropped off. I, I think he still has to be mentioned. But you're right. You need to get the ball to do Johnson more, especially when you're nursing a lead. You want to make that. You want to hurry that game up. You don't want to give Arizona a bunch of bunch of extra possessions by going three and out by slinging the ball around, stopping the clock with one minute drives, you know, that's not the way you're going to win that game. You know, when you get into halftime up 20 to 10, that you're kind of lucky where you're at. You need to nurse that position and keep playing the same way. And they just completely, for whatever reason, completely changed their game plan and uh, handed the game to Arizona. Yeah. It was just so frustrating to watch. And I just, I mean, Duke Johnson. And the other thing with that is, what you're saying, shortening the game, it's completely correct. But the other thing with that is you're also putting the ball in the hands of one of your best playmakers. In terms of guys in the backfield, I think he's definitely more explosive and, and has more potential to move the sticks than a Crowell and a, definitely a, a, a Turban. So, yeah, just getting away from him. I think we're going to get a heavy dose of him on Thursday night at Cincinnati. I think they probably realize that after the fact and they're probably going to force feed him a little bit whoa 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 did you just assume that the browns like learn from their mistakes <laughs> i i did that, yeah, that's that probably mistake. that's that's a mistake my friend yeah you should know better you haven't learned from your mistakes no no i've not i, I guess it's contagious around here you, you follow a team enough you you begin to you take on those their traits yeah yeah you do um, one other thing, speaking of that game coming up against Cincinnati, I know you had mentioned Travis Benjamin, his numbers dropping off a little bit in the last few weeks. Where his numbers really shot up was the week uh, two when he played with Johnny Manziel as his quarterback. And all indications, I don't think it's been made official yet, it seems like we're probably getting Johnny football starting a quarterback against Cincinnati on Thursday night. How do you feel about that? It sure seems that way. I mean, you saw the game. McCown took a beating. Like, I personally gained a lot of respect for him. He That guy just, he was getting crushed. He could barely stand, and he kept coming back out. He never pulled himself. Um, he stayed in the game. He kept trying to will him back and made a couple plays. Obviously, nothing big to get him back in the game, but... It'll be interesting to see what they do with Johnny. I mean, Marvin uh, Marvin Lewis uh, will finally get to face his favorite midget, um, see how see what he puts together. I don't know if 
Well, don't forget, he Johnny's first start last year was against Cincinnati. It was the home game. It didn't and go well. No, it did not. To say the least, it did not you, go well. Refresh my memory. Were you at that game? That one? No, I was not at that game. I was. It was the only regular season game I went to, and I'm I just sorry. remember how everybody was excited leading into the game and thinking, okay, this team is still in the playoff hunt. Hoyer's been struggling. We need a shot in the arm. We're finally going to unleash Johnny Manziel, see what he can do. Maybe this guy will be the one to revitalize us and, and give us a spark these last few weeks. And, Travis, I'm telling you, I have seen a lot of terrible football. That game was over within five minutes. It was it was terrifying what Cincinnati did to him last year. I don't know if it, any I don't know if any team in the league in the last fifteen years since the Browns have been around has seen more awful quarterback play than the Cleveland Browns. I don't know if any team has seen uh, has consistently had worse quarterbacks. Definitely not. There, it's that, not even close. That is the worst single game performance from any quarterback in this Browns history in this Browns franchise history. Uh, it That's was shocking. A huge number if you know this team. That is an incredible stat. It was that bad. And I think what was the final? 30 to nothing. Yep. Horrible. And, and Cincinnati took their foot off the gas. Could have made it worse. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah Absolutely. You, yeah, it was it was shocking. Now to be fair, I I think Johnny's looked a little bit better this year and I I was definitely enjoying what he was doing against Tennessee for the most part. Tennessee, I think, is a terrible team. They just fired their coach this week. So I wouldn't be getting too excited about everything that happened in that win back in week two. But I, I do think he's made some progress. But, boy, oh, boy, I, I'm I'm a little nervous. Because don't forget the other thing. That was the second time we faced Cincinnati last year. The first one uh, was the high point of the season. I think, yeah, Thursday ass-kicking. It was the Thursday night that the Browns ran them off the field in Cincinnati. It was the same week of the season as this year, put the Browns into first place, and the Bengals, that was probably a low point of the year for them. So I guarantee you if there's one game that's sticking in their minds from last year, it's going to be that one uh-huh. heading into Thursday night and, and not the one where they smack the Browns around in, in mid-December. Mm-hmm. Yep, and a little behind the curtain here, I actually live in a uh, house divided when it comes to the NFL. My uh, my lady friend is a Bengals fan, so oh, I've boy. had to, I've had to listen to that for the last ten eleven months now. Oh, We're no. actually heading down to Cincinnati on Thursday. I'm going with zero expectation. I'm oh, just going to go get hammered and have some skyline. But I, <laughs> I have zero optimism about where this game could go on Thursday. Yeah, Andy it, Dalton it, is playing as well as as we've ever seen him play. He's a legit MVP candidate. And the, red, the red rifle. He is. I mean, I know. We're, like we say every time the Bengals get brought up, well, we'll wait until the playoffs. But he just looks different this year. He played real well during the regular season last year, and I think he looks. He just looks like a different guy. So they've had a couple of wins already this year. Especially the one that, that jumps to mind immediately is the comeback against Seattle that I just if if you're a team mm-hmm. that's going to be mentally weak and you're going to fold when it gets tough that's not the kind of win that you have so I, I I know people have gotten burned buying into the Bengals in the past but I think if there was ever a year that they're legit this is, this is a this better is team it. this is a better team and 
Um, so I was actually watching. We watched the end of that game. I had a little Sunday ticket action going on over here. So we got the end of that uh, Bengals-Steelers game from this past weekend where they were down and they had to come back again. And he made a couple mistakes and he put them in a hole and they didn't look good. And she's sitting next to me saying, oh, there's no way they win. They showed some stones. They look. They just look like a team that has it. They're not going to play themselves out of a game. If they make mistakes, they'll come back and fix them. They're not going to get down on themselves. You're going to have to beat them for the entire sixty minutes. You're not going to get. You're not going to take their, you know, their effort away just by getting up on them. And I, I don't imagine that the Browns will even get up on them this week. Yeah, I, I expect. <laughs> say, we, I don't even see us crossing that bridge. So. Right. I think uh, Clubber Lang had one word for what we should expect this week. Um, <laughs> and I expect a lot of pain for the Browns personally. Yeah. Enjoy the drive. Um, enjoy the skyline down there in Cincinnati. I'll grab myself and... a couple conies. I'll uh, drink enough beer to, not to miss the second half. Yeah. What, what, what's, the, uh, what's the beer of choice down there? Is it Hootie? Hootie oh, yeah. Delight? Hootie Light. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty yeah. of it. Plenty was... of it. Keep yeah, there you coming. go. <laughs> Oh boy! All right, uh, onto some brighter uh, pastures. Yeah, if you've, I if, guess. you've if you've stuck through the thirty-three minutes of depression, <laughs> let's talk about the Buckeyes. Although we we do need to get a little bit of disappointing news out of the way on them first. Uh, quarterback JT Barrett picked up over the weekend, Halloween weekend, uh, OVI misdemeanor, suspended for one game. This coming weekend here. How do you how do you feel about all that? Um, well, I think in the future they should be sure not to schedule their buys on Halloween. <laughs> um, it's it's I'm I don't know it's it's stupid and yes, drunk driving is a serious thing. It's not something to make light of. It's uh, it's obviously more more serious than a lot of kids that age take it, but. I have a hard time getting on a guy who went out, had a few beers, drove when he shouldn't have. He's going to miss a game for it. It may cost him a bit of money as well. Um, the punishment seems to be pretty much in line. I think the biggest disappointment is more who it was. Um, if this was a guy who we haven't been hearing since day one is a natural leader and every guy on the team loves him, and he's a sophomore captain, and he's exactly what you want out of a quarterback, we'd be saying a different thing. But his reputation just makes it that much more surprising. Um, as far as punishment goes, I think I think it's probably about right. I mean, I think it's pretty standard, honestly, across the board. I don't know that Ohio State necessarily needs to be held to a higher standard than anyone else. Some people seem to think that for some reason. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a shame that he came in, played real well last week. We thought everything was looking good and then we get a bye week and he does something stupid for the first time in two years. I have two thoughts on this. Number one, I, I know he's underage and it would be really easy for me to sit here and wave my finger at him. Can for we even please, drinking can we at just, all? please just ignore that? Like, yeah, I'm. I'm not. I was. I was 20 years old in college. They're 20 years old. They're drinking on the weekend. Okay, so let's. I understand that part of it. Technically, it's illegal, but let's. The much bigger 
uh, offense here is the fact that he was driving after he was drinking. Yeah, my, my problem is not that he w- had a few drinks. My problem was that he is the biggest star athlete on campus, probably. If not, he's in the in the discussion in the top five. Are you telling me that nobody there could have given him a ride home? Probably could have called Cardale. That's who picked him up from jail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is for God's sake, so like, how, kind of a kind of a cool storyline, I guess, if there is one in this. The fact that he takes this guy's job, and that's still his good buddy that shows up to pick him up. Yeah, not yeah. that it, I mean, it, I mean that's that's a very thin silver lining, but um, well, you know the geography down there. I mean, how much would an Uber ride have cost him? I think you're probably looking at the fact that an Uber ride would not have been there efficiently. In all likelihood, I bet you're probably looking at surge pricing. I'll get a little nerdy here on Uber. So yeah. it probably would have been a fairly expensive ride. And my guess is 1 o'clock in the morning, the day before Halloween, I guess technically on Halloween, yeah. Ubers were probably fairly scarce and okay. not easily accessible. So that's that's probably the bigger thing. All right, so that option was probably out the window. I would say it, it, it probably got to the point. He, he strikes me as a guy that's fairly responsible, and he probably wasn't going that far. So he probably looked at his phone, said, I can't get a ride from here. I'm not that far. I'll do it. Blah, blah, blah. I don't want to pass too much judgment. Most of us have probably done it at some point. Um, But, yeah, I think it probably just was bad circumstances and a bad decision. Let me ask you this. Here's the second point I want to make. Right or wrong, you can all be the judge out there in podcast land. Given the way past events and past transgressions have been handled elsewhere, had he been playing for Florida State and had he run into the Tallahassee Police Department at that OVI checkpoint, would we have ever heard anything about no, this? Not a chance. I think, I think that's Florida State's sort of a bad example because they kind of They've kind of yeah. proven, basically beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they look past that stuff. Um, I think they're yeah. I mean, it, Columbus is a little different because it's not a it's not just a college town. Yes, it's, I mean it's a large city. It's not uh, Tuscaloosa or I don't know any college town, Oxford or Clemson, anywhere like that. Even Ann Arbor, it's not a college town. It's a city, legit metropolis with a college there. Yes. So it's it's a little different atmosphere. Yeah, the city runs, eats, sleeps, and breathes Ohio State football, but it's a little different uh, vibe in terms of uh, overall feel of the city. That's fair. It just it's interesting how that one situation could have been handled completely differently. And I mean, I'm not saying he should have gotten away with it and he should have gotten a pass. I just, I'm with you in thinking he absolutely would have had he played at another school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, I think just I food think... for thought. And then the next time that this happens somewhere else, because you know this will happen at another school, I, I, I hope the local police departments there also stand up and, and do, this, do the right thing as well. And I do. And I think, I, I think long term, it's probably good for JT. Um, I think he's proven he's a guy who who 
will spin any situation into something that he can learn from. Um, yeah. By all accounts, he's a good kid. I don't think this makes him a bad kid all of a sudden. Um, so I, I think in the long term, he'll learn from it. And it'll probably be one of those things that he looks back on like, hey, I, uh, yeah, I made a really stupid mistake. I won't do that again. Yeah, I, 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 he'll be fine. And I think the Buckeyes will be fine. But uh, definitely not a quiet bye week for, uh, for the old Buckos. No, there. you'd hoped it would have been, but no such luck. Yeah. So anyway, earlier this evening, we had the first college football playoff rankings of the season come out. And uh, Clemson, number one, LSU, number two, Ohio State, despite being number one in the AP poll, they're third in the playoff rankings. And Alabama gets the fourth spot. How do you feel about the playoff four as they would stand right now? Uh, I, I, I don't. I think Alabama shouldn't be in it right now. Um, if Alabama beats LSU by say, uh, they actually host them this weekend. Right. If Alabama beats LSU by say, I don't know, a field goal, or it's a really close game and it comes down to the end, and we have to go through the rest of the season with both of those teams in the top four, I think that's a joke. Um. Alabama got beat pretty handily. I mean, it ended up being a touchdown game, but Ole Miss was in charge most of that game. Yes. Um, and Ole Miss has proven they're not really that good. So do we just give Alabama a pass once a year from now on where it doesn't really matter? We'll give them one game where they don't have to actually play that well. We'll give them this don't... hall pass that we don't give anyone else for the record. No yeah, one else gets to... the benefit of the doubt Alabama gets. I was just going to say that they seem to get a benefit of the doubt that nobody else seems to get. And I get it. For a couple of years, they were the best team. But last year, Ohio State was far and away better than them that whole game. Yeah. I realized, Even when Alabama was up 21-6, to Ohio State was outplaying them. They were shooting themselves in the foot with mistakes and things. But Alabama routinely, every year, because it's Nick Saban and he's got a couple national titles, one of which he shouldn't have been in because they shouldn't have played LSU that year that they lost to him. But I digress. Um, they continue to get that benefit of the doubt. Whether they actually deserve it or not, I'm not 100% sure they do anymore. A couple of things with this. Number one, I, I'm not, I, I don't think they belong in the top four right now, but I'm not going to totally panic over it because I think if they win out, they're going to have earned a spot in that playoff four. I agree. Yep, I'd agree and if, if, if they lose, they're out. Right. So my, where they're my at bigger, right now. My bigger issue is that LSU could potentially win or potentially lose this weekend and get the benefit of the doubt on that if, if, it, if it is a really close game and stay in that top four. I think I have to think that at the end of the season, one of them not being in the SEC championship game would kind of discount that team from it at the end of the yeah. day. But... Look at how much Ohio State benefited last year from playing in the Big Ten championship game and, and winning the conference championship. I think that was literally the deciding factor that vaulted them over the Big 12 teams was because they were we, playing a conference yeah. championship and, and the other schools weren't. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they had one extra game. It was against a pretty well-regarded team. Yeah. And, I mean, 59 to nothing. What, what else can you say? But... Yeah, that was huge, and they basically said as much. They didn't want to come out and, and flat-out tell the Big 12, until you get a championship game, this is going to happen to you. But everyone knew that was the case. 
Sure. I don't know if it's going to be the case this year, because if one of those two goes undefeated, they'll be in, and one of them should, I think. Um, well, let me ask you this. Everybody's kind of forgetting Ole Miss controls its destiny in the SEC mm-hmm. West. They've Somehow. got, yeah, I know they've they've lost twice, so there's no way you're going to have a two loss team in the playoff. Now they've got, I believe they play Arkansas and they play LSU, and then they have Mississippi State in their last game of the year. It, obviously, LSU is the big hurdle of those three. Let me bring up their schedule right now. Here they got I, I Arkansas, LSU, and Mississippi State at Mississippi State. Yeah, and so the LSU game is at Ole Miss, so they're going to get a little bit of help playing that game at home. It's it's going to be tough for them to 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 win that game because I think LSU is a better team. But if they do that, they're holding a trump card over both of those two teams that are in the playoff four right now. Yeah, what the hell is going to happen if all of a sudden that school's playing? in the SEC championship game, and LSU and Alabama are left out. Yeah, I think that, the, personally, I think we've learned time and time again that um, it's probably going to go to a Bama or LSU over and Obviously, Ole Miss is out of the picture at that point, but you look at Ole Miss, Ole Miss that beat Alabama, they lost to Florida by 28 yeah. Florida's not that good. They lost to Memphis by two touchdowns, and Memphis having a really good season, they're still not a powerhouse that should be beating the SEC front runner at this point in the season. So, I mean, I, I honestly think it really depends what happens in the Pac-12 if Stanford can't put together a compelling reason why they should be in that top four. I think the SEC might still get the benefit of the doubt, and you'd see a Bama or an LSU in there. Um I think it would. I think it would have to be LSU. Probably. I don't see Ole Miss running the table. Um, That's the doomsday scenario for the SEC if that happens. If Ole Miss run, wins the next three, agree completely. Yes. Agree completely. Yeah. Um, Florida would maybe have a chance of getting in there in place of them. Um, hmm. They're not. I think they're what they came out number ten. I think today. Um, I, in the, I think they were number ten in the top twenty-five, so they're still in the picture. They've got. Florida, they've only got one loss. They lost by a touchdown to LSU. Yeah, Florida's tenth in the in the playoff rankings. Yeah, so they could theoretically, um, if they ran the table, they would still, I think, probably earn that earn that spot over, um, probably over a Pac-12 team. Um, but that's sort of what they have to hope for. They kind of, I mean, you hate to say it, but the SEC guy has to really pick a team. Um, he has to pick against Ole Miss this way, the rest of the way out and just hope that they're not there screwing things up for them. Yeah, it'll uh, it'll be interesting. Just to bring this back full circle to the Buckeyes, they're ranked third right now, and I'm sure there are people who don't follow this religiously that are going to be upset seeing an SEC team in front of them and seeing Clemson in front of them and thinking the Buckeyes are somehow being disrespected. Let, let's be clear here. They're in the they're in the driver's seat. As long as they handle their business, they're fine. Yep, because that's going to be the, the case. And to be the honest, three best they can yeah. probably afford a loss. I don't want to test it. Obviously, mm. um, I'm not. I think if they lost to I, if they lost to Michigan, I think they'd be okay. Um, obviously, it depends how everything falls out. Um, to, but yeah, you're right. If they if they went out. It, nothing else matters. They'll get in. The, it doesn't matter. Three, it doesn't matter what, what 
uh, what seed you are. If no. you're in, you control it. It doesn't matter. You control yeah. your own destiny at that point. That's all you can ask for at that point in the season. There are no home games. Right. So they're, they're, the, the three best wins on their schedule by the end of the year are all still in front of them. There's mm-hmm. four There's four Big Ten teams in the playoff top 25 right now, Ohio State and three other schools that they're likely to face here. That they'll play the in consecutive weeks too. Right. They'll play those so, three. So if they can come out and look and look strong and convincing against Michigan State, Michigan, and then in the Big Ten championship game against Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. They're. I mean, they're in. They're. They're. they're and they'll in probably fine be position. a one at that point. Because if yeah. you look at like Clemson, Clemson, the ACC has two teams in the top twenty-five: Clemson and Florida State. Yes. That's horrible. Like, for as much as the Big Ten has taken over the years, they've got five in the top twenty-five. They're only one behind the SEC. Right. You know, the the Pac-12, everyone thought they were going to be really good this year. I think I saw three teams for them. Stanford, um, I think, is the highest ranked one, and they're only 11th. Stanford, Utah, and I think UCLA was down near 22 or 23, something like that. 23, yeah. yeah. So they're down there at the bottom, too. So everyone thought these conferences were going to be a lot stronger than they are. The Big 12's okay. They got their regular three. Uh, mm-hmm. Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma, and then I think Oklahoma State, and that's their four. And five independents, which is pretty crazy at this point in the season. Memphis making a crazy run, but um, no, you're right. You're 100% right about Ohio State. All they have to do is keep winning. Yeah, Going crazy about them being third instead of first right now is just you're just driving yourself crazy for nothing. There's no point. Yeah, I, I think that. it's just an adjustment in mindset compared to last year because with that one loss against Virginia Tech from the beginning of the year looming over their heads, there was a lot of concern in terms of where they were stacking up against the competition, whereas this year they don't have to worry about that right now. So it's more a matter of just handle your business and, mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. Yep. Yeah, they, so. they needed style points at the end of the last year. They don't need those. They just keep no. winning. No. And, I mean – Obviously, as big a homer as you'll find, I don't. I don't see. I don't see this team as complacent and um, unfocused as a lot of other people do. Um, I see them. I see them as a team that that knows when to turn it on. They may be down at times. They may have a difficult time getting up when they when you know it's a three thirty game against a Northern Illinois or something like that. But I, I've said it. I think probably the last two weeks when the lights are on, they show up. And that's what you really need, especially at the end of the season. I totally agree. Hey, we're already at 50 minutes here, but just real quick, um, I didn't even put this in the notes ahead of time, but speaking of teams that know how to turn it on when uh, when the lights come on, uh, just real quick on the Cavs, they had another couple of nice wins since the last time we talked. Uh, still feeling good about everything you're seeing? Hard not to. Um, as, long as, as long as LeBron doesn't overexert himself, and as long as everyone else is able to stay on the floor, no complaints whatsoever. Yeah, I was the game last night, uh, the Monday night game against Philadelphia. It was kind of interesting. You could just see they came out flat, weren't real interested, and as soon as they were ready to flip the switch, it was just a night and day difference. And you know, Jr. knee bruise. Thankfully, we got that news today that it was just, uh, just going to be a couple uh, of games. Just a couple of games. He probably won't play on Sunday. Yeah, he probably won't play Sunday either, I'm guessing. So the good news there, nothing serious. 
and he wasn't really looking particularly sharp. I think they said he also had some tendonitis, which might explain why his shot was looking like it was off through the first few games anyway. So give him a chance to rest up, get back on track, good things. Are you you heading down to that game against the Knicks on uh, Wednesday night? I am probably not, looking 90% not. I have two tickets um, that I'll Mm -hmm. probably end up handing off to somebody, let them go, enjoy Loudville for me. But, no, I'm probably not going to be able to make it. Okay, I will. Uh, I'll be down there with the wife. I am looking forward to seeing them in person. Beautiful. So, uh, should be a good time. Say hello so. to the missus. I will do that. All right, let's uh, let's get out of here. Uh, any other parting shots? No. Um, I guess go Browns. It's hard for me to really be positive anymore. Oh, and I told my lady her Clyde Flyers are in the first round of the OHSA playoffs. So go Flyers on Friday. Yeah. All right. There you go. Got the, the high school playoffs starting yeah. up. Man, that season just flew by. Yeah, it does. It always does, though, because it's always done halfway through the other football seasons. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, so reminder, everybody out there, uh, you can always find the show here, Nail in the Coffin, cle.blogspot.com. If you want to get episodes as soon as they go live, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and that's always free. And if you ever want to email the show, Nail in the Coffin, cle at gmail, and you can follow us on Twitter, at the Nail Podcast. Travis, good times. You as well, Tino. Talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. All right, buddy, see ya. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcasts. 